Hey, Pastor Justin here, and I want to welcome you to our verse-by-verse teaching through God's Word. We hope and pray that this is a huge resource to you, and it helps you grow in your knowledge of Jesus Christ and the Bible. Also, want to encourage you, if this is your only place where you're being fed, go and be a part of the local church. We love being a part of your life, but it's no substitute for being a part and serving in the local church. Also, if this has blessed you, we would love to hear about it. There's an email that's listed below, and if you send us an email and just tell us how God's Word has changed your life, it would bless us tremendously. Also, would you pray and consider maybe helping us continue this ministry and getting God's Word all over the world? You can do that by going to newheightsohio.com and click on the Giving tab. Anything helps, and we appreciate it. God bless. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women so that They even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Good morning, New Heights Church. Hope everybody is doing good. Uh, For those of you that don't know me, my name is Enos Marshall, executive pastor here at New Heights. And it is an honor to be here with all of you this morning. And uh, every time I have an opportunity to share with you, I am excited. It's an honor to do so. Um, Yes, Pastor Justin and about uh, 20 plus others are in Israel right now and... I just want to say I'm a little jealous. That is a bucket trip list for, bucket list, yes, that's right. Bucket list trip for me uh, that I definitely want to do. But I'm excited for them, praying that God will speak into them, that it will take their faith to a new level as they get to walk uh, along some of the same paths and be at some of the same places that we read about in God's word, and it's exciting to really see and allow God's word to come alive and make a difference in their lives. So we are excited for them. Well, I'm excited for today to bring you God's word and allow him to speak to every single one of us. We are continuing our series in the book of Acts and Acts is a historical, uh, historical document that text document that really shows us and tells us about the birth of the church and the early days of the church. And in chapter four, chapter four ushered in the first opposition that the church, this new established church, began to face. And it was opposition that came from the out from outside of the church. And then last week, uh, chapter five, Acts chapter five, we saw opposition that came to the church, but this time from within the church. 
And unfortunately, what we see is that this, this idea of opposition and hostility becomes the new normal for the church. But it's not just what, what we see in Acts, but it actually carries over to today, and we can face, the church can face those same things today. But it's really interesting because every time the church faces a new trial or believers face a new t- trial, it seems as though they get stronger. They get stronger, and the message of Jesus spreads further and actually faster. Now, as you think about that, if you think about that for a moment, that's really contradictory to itself. Like, how does that even make sense? How can that be the outcome of what you would see when you face trials and opposition and hostility? But that's, that's what happens, that, that when they face opposition and things get bad, they actually get better. And so how do the apostles and the early believers, how do they not only keep going, get through it, but they seem to find joy as they go through it as well. And if, they, and if that happens with them, how do we experience the same thing? Well, the answer to that actually might surprise you because they don't and we don't. We can't. Only Jesus can. Only Jesus can face those things. And so today what we're talking about is you probably thought this was about you. Do me a favor. Bow your heads. Close your eyes. Repeat this prayer after me. Dear Jesus, speak to my heart. Change my life. In Jesus' name, amen. So have any of you ever thought of yourselves as maybe more special than you really were, maybe a big deal? Uh, Maybe you even saw yourself in a way or in a light that honestly that's not reality at all? I may have fallen into that trap just a couple times in my life, just a few. But I remember uh, the first time I saw the movie Commando with Arnold Schwarzenegger in it. One of the famous scenes. Like, look at Arnold carrying that tree on his shoulder. I see that and I go, that looks just like me. I can do that. Now, I like hunting. And I really, I really like hunting. I enjoy hunting. And there's, there are some times that in my life that I've gone deer hunting by myself because I haven't had people to go with me. And the thought had come across my mind of, hey, Enos, if you get a deer, how are you going to get that deer out? And you want to know where my mind went? That's right. I said, if Arnold can do it, I definitely can do it. I will just throw that deer over my shoulders and I will walk out of there. Pretty realistic, right? Thank you for the honesty. Well, shortly after, kind of new in, in uh, mine and Lisa's marriage, uh, I started going hunting with Lisa's dad. And so I would go out with him. The first deer I ever got was with her dad. But one of these times we went out. And he had to work, and so we drove down. They, they lived about two hours away from where we were at. We drove down to their house. I went out early in the morning. 
by myself to hunt. I borrowed uh, Lisa's uncle's truck and drove, drove to where this clear cut was. Now this clear cut was about maybe a quarter mile from where I parked the truck. And it was just a gravel road that I went up. But I thought to myself, I'm going to go out. Hopefully I can get a deer. If I get a deer, no problem. I can throw that thing over my shoulders and I'm going to walk out. Because I obviously had done that before. I knew it could be done. And so I go out there early in the morning before it gets light. I'm hanging out there. It's freezing. I wasn't dressed properly. My hands were getting cold. I brought water, but I left it in the truck. I brought a phone, but I didn't charge it at night. I was very prepared for what I was about to embark in. Now, I'm seeing a lot of action. I'm looking out over this clear cut. This clear cut was probably five years old or so, so some brush and little things had had grown up. As I'm looking down there, I'm thinking it looks like it's only about ankle high because I'm looking down into this ravine area. And I'm, I'm seeing some doe running around there, but that's not what I was looking for. In Washington, you can't shoot doe. You have to shoot males. You have to shoot bucks. So that's what I was looking for. And it's freezing that morning. I'm out there just before noon, and I decide I'm getting hungry. I didn't bring any food with me, so I'm going to leave at noon if I don't see anything. So I come back away from the ravine, and I'm about ready to walk down to the truck, back to the truck. But I look to my right, and the, the road goes up just a little bit more, just a couple hundred yards, and then it flattens out and dead ends. And I think, you know, I'll just walk up there, look at the ravine from a different angle. So I'll, I'll pull my binoculars out, look, if I, if I don't see anything, I'm going to leave. So I go up there, I'm scanning, lo and behold, a four-point buck walks out. And I'm like, come on, baby. And I shoot that deer, and he's down. For all of you that this story saddens you, I'm sorry. But it happened, okay? It happened. I shot the deer. I'm so excited. I call Lisa. She goes, oh, good job, babe. Good for you, you know. She's like, maybe call my dad. See if he can leave work and come help you get it out. I'm like, great idea. So I call her dad, and her dad goes, Enos, I am so sorry. I am so swamped here. There's no way I can leave. I go, not a problem. I know how to get the deer out. Don't worry. So as I start going down in this ravine, I realize right away that this brush that I'm walking through is about waist high. I get to the deer, and I've already told you many times, I'm very prepared for this moment. I pull out my knife, which I didn't sharpen. If you ever want to gut a deer, get a sharp knife. It works a lot better. Okay? And I get this deer cleaned out. Now I'm just ready. I'm just going to throw this deer over my shoulder. No problem. Except for, I can't lift the thing up. I can only get its head off the ground. And so I'm kind of scratching my head. I'm like, well, this didn't really work out how I was thinking. And uh, so what I, I go, hey, I'll just get the rope out of my bag. Oh, wait, don't have a bag or rope with me. So I decide, I grab onto this deer's antlers, and I start pulling the deer. I make it about 10 steps, and I'm not kidding you, my lungs are burning. I can hardly breathe. I like, and I was, I mean, this was the picture of what I looked like. I was in great shape. I don't know what was going on. And I'm like, I can't do this. This is not working. What can I do? So I decide I've got one option. I'm wearing a belt. So I take my belt off. I wrap that belt around the deer's neck. And I 
start slinging it over my shoulder, thinking I'm just going to pull that thing up. All I need to do is get it up over my shoulder. I can't get the body up. All I can get is its head. So I'm like taking these steps and I'm looking over. I'm like, hey. And I, I'm, I am struggling. I am struggling to move. I, I get to the bottom of, this, of the incline. Like all I did was I covered the flat part. And I was already exhausted. And I'm like, now I got to go up the side of this hill. And then I'm still only just a quarter mile from the, from the truck. It can't be too bad, right? So I am struggling up this. I take a couple steps and I'm tripping, I'm falling. Well, part of this brush is the, are these like twi- these tw- uh, vines and stuff. And so, and I am losing all strength. I have never been depleted of strength and energy before in my life like this. And I go to take a step and one of those vines wraps, is wrapped around my ankle and I trip and I fall on this hill like this and this deer comes right over the top of me and it is all right on top of me. I have no strength left to even push this thing off of me. This is a true story. True story. And I am laying, I probably laid there for 10 minutes. I was ready, I was ready. I had no energy, no strength. I was ready to check out. I was like, God, it has been a good ride. I'm ready to go now. I laid there for 10 minutes until I could finally just shove this thing off of me. And I sit up. My phone battery is blinking. I am so thirsty. And I have no energy And so I call Lisa and I go, Lisa, I can't do it. I'm going to leave this thing. I know that's bad, but I'm leaving it and I'm never coming back. And she goes, listen, why don't you call my uncle? See if he can come out and help. I think I had enough juice left for one more call. I call her uncle and I go, Andy, I need your help. I'm stuck. I can't get this deer out of here. He said, listen. He said, uh, why, don't you, why don't you leave the deer, mark it, get into the truck, come back, get something to eat, get some water, and his son Derek would be home from school in just a little bit. He goes, then we'll come out there together and we'll get that deer. <sighs> they came out there with me, and when I say we got the deer out, I don't even think I can take any credit. I didn't do anything. I was exhausted. They got the deer out. This is what I learned from the story. I'm not as great as I thought I was. Okay? In fact, I learned I'm that story, that story's not even about me. I'm not the hero. The hero was the father and the son that came and saved me. They're the ones that came to my rescue. It wasn't my strength or my power that got me out of there. The power came from someone else. And what this story does, what this story illustrates is is a great illustration that when when we give our lives to Jesus, what our lives are really about. See, See, my life, I'm not the hero to the story of my life. In fact, I'm not even the main character Jesus is. And just like I couldn't, through my own power, get out of that situation, I can't use any of my own power to make it through this life. See, it comes to the point, at the end of my power is when I realize and discover God's power. And when my, if my life, if the story of my life really isn't about me, 
but it's about Jesus, then Jesus better be the focal point of my life. And that leads us to our main point today, that if you remember anything I say, remember this, because it is such an important idea to grasp that if we truly want all that God has for us in our life, if we want to be used to the fullest extent of what God has us and has placed us on this earth to do, then this idea should really be our mantra. It should be our anthem in our life, and it is this. With everything you do in this life, make Jesus famous. With everything you do in this life, make Jesus famous. So my question to you this morning is this, is Jesus the focal point of your life? When people look at you, do they see Jesus or do they see you? Again, this idea is so contrary to our culture today. Our culture today is you everything. Your feelings, your desires, your thoughts, your wants, you, you, you. It's me first, others later mentality. But that is not God's ingredients for living a full life with him. Jesus told us himself in John 10, 10, I've come that you may have life and have it to the fullest. And if we want that full life that God has for us, those are not the ingredients to get there. Those are the ingredients for a self-centered, self-focused life that puts us at the center and makes us the stars. But that is not the story that God has for you. You see, a life without Jesus we'll always have a void that we are looking to fill in our life. But that's not the story God has for us. With everything you do in this life, make Jesus famous. So some of you may not be convinced going, wait, you're telling me my life isn't even really about me? Well, don't take my word for it. Let's take God's word because God's word is where we can find the answers to everything that we're looking for. And in the book of Acts, the book of Acts is, is a story about the apostles and the early church. But the hero and the main character is never the apostles or the church. It's always Jesus. It's, it's always Jesus. And so coming off of the story of Ananias and Sapphira, Luke, what Luke is doing here with, ver, with chapter 5, verses 12 through 16, what he's doing is he's transitioning from that story but also tying in how the effects of Ananias and Sapphira's deceit and death affected the apostles, the believers, the non-believers, and also the Sadducees. Who, by the way... The Sadducees were already upset because, remember in chapter 4, they told the apostles, stop it. Stop talking about Jesus. Stop doing the things you're doing. Well, they didn't stop. And, and so what they, what, what's going on is they're preparing to make their next move on the apostles. But so what, it, so what did that look like? Luke is using these verses as a transition to show, hey, closing off this story, but also showing what the, the effects of that story of how they, it propelled the church and the believers forward 
while also setting the stage for what was to come next, which was, which we'll cover next week, the second time the apostles go before the Sanhedrin council. And so let's look at uh, starting in verse number 12. Now many signs and wonders were regularly being done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. Now, this, the word hands, because when you, when you read through these verses, you see Peter's name come up a lot. Well, what Luke is doing, what Luke does right there is he says the hands of the apostle, he's, he's letting us know it wasn't just Peter, but all of the apostles God was moving through and working through to do these signs and wonders. So what were the effects on the apostles from the deceit of Ananias and Sapphira? Well, what we see is, look, they were all together in Solomon's portico. Solomon's portico, it was ground zero for where really this explosion of the church continued to happen. They would meet there daily, going there daily. So they were emboldened and encouraged to continue doing what God had called them to do. And so they continued on and they continued to do what they did, going to the same place and doing what they were doing. Now, what was the effect on the believers Well, with the believers, we saw in verse 11, it said that this holy fear came across the church. So the believers really had this holy fear. But don't think of fear necessarily as like, oh, we're so afraid. We're like God could kill us at any moment. Like that was a part of it. But the main part of this fear that they have, it was this this reverent fear that they had. It was more of an idea of this, this honoring and this act and idea of holiness that, wow, God is so holy. God is so great. He is, he, he is magnificent. And I, I want to be like, I want my life to honor him. And so it's more acting out of obedience than out of this fear of, oh, please don't hurt me. And so seeing God moving that, seeing God's holiness, that, that sin is being cut, cut off and, and put out, it moved them to repentance. The Holy Spirit was moving through the believers, drawing them to conviction, but conviction to repent. Now remember, the Spirit convicts, and conviction is simply this, you screwed up, but here's the way out. Now, the enemy does the opposite. The enemy condemns. The enemy says, you screwed up, you're stuck, there's no way ever out. But the Holy Spirit is bringing conviction to the believers. And they're, they're really looking at themselves. They're, they're looking at their motives to see, hey, am I right? Am I really living out the things God, are there things in my life I need to get right? And so it starts and propels the church forward. It really brings this holiness, brings the church together even more and moves, uh, moves the church as they start exploding more and more in growth as more and more people come to know God. But it's building this confidence in the believers. But that wasn't the same, but what had happened and what's been going on is also affecting the non-believers. So we see in verse 13, none of the rest dared to join them, but the people held them in high esteem. This word rest, what it means is it's not talking about the believers, but it refers to people of the region. Okay, so what it's saying is the non-believers go, "Uh, I don't think I want any part of this. Because they're seeing every day all of these people, these crowds of people coming in. They're seeing and hearing about these miraculous signs, the deliverance of those that are are, are oppressed. They heard about what happened to Ananias and Sapphira. And they are truly afraid. 
They are fearful because they're like, uh, God struck them down. If I get too close, he may strike me down. And so they decided they're watching from a distance, but they're also very curious as to what God is doing and to what is, what's happening there. Curiosity will bring people in. Signs and wonders will bring people in. I remember there was curiosity with me and Lisa and Pastor Justin and Liz when the Asbury revival was going on. Like, we, we knew God was moving. We said, we're so curious. Let's go down and check it out. But it's this idea. So they're getting close, but they're not getting too close. The other reason why they didn't want to get too close and they stood back is because of the political tension that was going on. They knew that the Sanhedrin didn't like what was happening. They knew that the, the, what they had told them not to do, to, to stop doing what they were doing. And so it's not like the Sanhedrin were sitting there all quiet and like, oh, we don't want to, you know, hurt their feelings or offend. No. They were grumbling. They were upset. They were making it known that they were upset. And so there's this political tension also going on that the unbelievers are going, you know what? If we get too close, not only will God might kill us, but I don't want to be associated when the, the council comes in here and takes them all away because I have nothing to do with that. So they're standing by on the outside. But here's the kicker. They still held the believers and the apostles in high esteem. They appreciated their authenticity because they were they practiced what they preached. They were living out what they talked about. And the non-believers saw this and they respected them. They held them in honor. Now think about it for a minute. That's really different from what we see today. Because those that are non-Christians don't necessarily look at Christians and go, wow, you guys are incredible. Now, that does happen sometimes, but a lot of time, man, it's, you guys are hypocrites, you're bigots, you're full of hate, all this stuff. But what, notice what Luke does. Luke draws a distinguish, uh, 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 there's a difference between the believer's life and the non-believer, like there's a clear distinction between the believers that are still going in, still meeting together, while the non-believers go, nope, I'm going to hang back. And there's a difference because the apostles and the believers, they lived out this authentic faith in their life. They didn't just speak about it, but they lived it out. The word authentic means not copied, real, or genuine. The apostles and these believers lived out this real, genuine faith in their life that the non-believers took notice of, said held them in high regards. There was a distinction between the way the believers lived and the non-believers. And our challenge to hearing this is for us to do some self-reflection and say, is there a clear distinction as a Christ follower between my life and my non-Christian neighbors or my non-Christian family or the world and the culture around us? It goes back. It goes back to that idea. Is Jesus the focal point of our life? Do people see us or do they see Jesus? And it's so important because authentic faith always points to Jesus. 
Authentic faith makes Jesus famous. And now this is so important for us to catch on and, and, and to understand. And what, what we need to know, because, because this is it. If, if authentic faith points to Jesus, then our lives matter. If it points to Jesus, our lives matter. It matters because of what we say. It matters because of what we do. It matters because of how we live, how we react, how we respond, how we even post things. Why does it matter? It matters because people are watching us. Because people are watching us and authentic faith always points to Jesus. Somebody say, well, what does it matter if people are watching us? It matters because we were made for a purpose on purpose. It's, our lives are not about us. Our lives are about others. And if we are Christians, if we are Christians, hopefully you know this already, but we don't get to take a break from living Jesus out in our life. We never get to turn it off. We're like, I just need a vacation from living for Jesus. If we're Christians, we don't get that. We don't get to do that. We have a job to do, and our job is not just to show up on Sunday mornings. Our job is to know God, to have a personal relationship with him so that he knows us and that we know him. Our job is to find freedom that when we give our lives to Jesus, we start taking steps away from our old life and what our old life represented and was, and we start taking steps towards Jesus. There's a clear distinction between who we were to who we are now. Our job is to discover our purpose. God put us here for a reason, to do something. We need to discover what it is that he put us here to do. Why? Because it's not about us. It's about to make a difference for eternity. Why is it important to make a difference for eternity? Because hell is real. And if hell is real, there are people going there that need Jesus. And God uses us to do it. Paul sums it all up in 2 Timothy verses 1 through through five. He says this, I charge you, meaning, hey, this is what you need to do. This is your responsibility. He says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out. We don't get a break from being Christians. We don't get a break from following Jesus. We got to be ready all the time. He says, in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. He says, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. I'm telling you, the time's not just coming, the time is here. The time is here where they're not listening. They're not going to endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Okay, it's not about us. You probably thought it was all about you, but it's not about us, but that's the way they go. And he goes on, and we'll turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Turn away from listening to truth. 
We are in the midst of that. I mean, look at June. This whole month is being celebrated throughout our country from listening to false myths and wandering off. As for you, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Are you ready for this? Fulfill your ministry. Make a difference. Why? Because with everything you do in this life, make Jesus famous. Verse 14. And more than ever believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. This word multitudes, it means that there there was this accelerated, rapid growth. This is this accelerated, rapid growth of believers coming to know Jesus, giving their lives over to him, living for him. And what's interesting here as well is that Luke adds in of both men and women. See, back in that time, women and children really didn't have a status. If you look throughout the Old Testament, as they count people and do censuses, that they weren't counting women and children. They were only counting men. And so Luke is saying, listen, it's for everybody. It's for everybody. It's not just for man, but it is for everybody. And I love, I love what Pastor Dana said up here, that what are the miracles for? What, who was the biggest, what was the, 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 the biggest advertisement they have? The person that was healed that said, hey, listen to these guys. See, the apostles were doing these, were, God was using them to perform these signs and wonders. But here's the thing. Why did multiples, multitudes keep coming to the Lord? Because the apostles didn't make it about them. It was never about them, and they knew it. Everything they did, they did it for Jesus. They didn't need the glory. They didn't need the spotlight. They didn't need the limelight. Because it wasn't about them. And multitudes were coming to know Jesus because they were making Jesus famous with their lives. Verse 15, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats. That as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. I mean, catch this picture here for a moment. Solomon's portico there. It's filling up with so many people, they can't even be in there anymore. It's filling out into the streets, out into the alleyways. And people are bringing out the sick. They're bringing out those that are demon-possessed, that Luke calls unclean spirits. They're bringing them out just so they might even have Paul's shadow hit them. And again, here are Paul, Peter. Here, again, we're not just talking about Peter. This is, it's... It's is not insinuating that it was just Peter, but it's all this is happening with all of the apostles. But as this is but as this is going on, they're carrying them out. It's not unbelievers that are carrying them out. It's the believers. It's those who lot whose lives have been transformed. And so they're going and they're getting their sick family and their friends their neighbors, and they're bringing them in because they know what they've experienced is true. And the same thing can happen to them. And when these, when these people come in, these unbelievers that are sick, they get healed. 
What Paul is doing, or sorry, what Luke is doing here is Luke is, is pointing out that these healings, they, the reason for the healings, the reason for the miraculous signs and wonders is to bring attention to Jesus. It's not about the apostles. And, and look, it was Peter's shadow. How, how more clear can we get? It wasn't Peter reaching down and touching the people. He was just walking by. And the anointing was so thick on him, so heavy on him, the power of God, that even his shadow, what it does is it, it reminds us and it parallels it with the woman that went up to Jesus in the crowd and, draw, and grabbed the bottom of his garment. This, this idea that the anointing, man, and again, it wasn't Peter. Peter Luke doesn't say, and Peter saw these people and he reached out. No, because it's not about Peter. It's all about Jesus. Now, what this is not doing is creating doctrine for us to follow, to say, hey, we need to find ancient relics of the apostles and things that they touched, and, you know, because then we're going to send those and people will get healed as they touch. That's not. No, this is, this is about attention being drawn to Jesus, that the Holy Spirit will move how the Holy Spirit wants to move, and, they will and he will use willing vessels that are doing his will and his work. And so it goes on. He says, the people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Again, Luke is talking about, and he's, he's talking about these healings that are happening, these healings turned. What do we know about healings? We know that healings are God's, is God's compassion upon us. To heal us, to comfort us, to take these things away. But what's the other thing we know about healings? Healings are temporary. All healings do is they hold off what will soon come for the end of all of us. Death. We will all die. Healings, when God moves in compassion on someone, just holds that off for a little bit longer. But the whole idea of it is it, it brings about salvation. It's all pointing to Jesus. And these apostles and these believers, they're, they're bringing them together. And here we see, for the first time, Luke is starting to tell us that the gospel and the message of Jesus is moving outside of Jerusalem. It's the beginning of the fulfillment of the Great Commission. Go into all the world. Jerusalem, Samaria, Judea, all of those to the, the region. And so they're moving outside. Well, who is doing this? It's those that are coming in and being healed and those that are giving their life to Jesus and they're taking it out and they're telling others, they're using their story to let others know what God has done in their life. And they're hearing it. The message is spreading. It's not just for the apostles. It's for all of us. And the message begins to spread. But also, those afflicted with unclean spirits. This lets us know something. That there is an enemy out there. There is a world that is unseen to us that we can't see with these eyes, but we know that there's a battle raging out there to bring down and stop everything that God desires to have done. 
And when we can understand that and realize that there is an enemy that is trying to bring us down and keep us from getting what God has for us, that also helps us bring about that picture of, oh, you know what, maybe it's not about me. Because we only see this around us. But there is a battle going on in a realm that we cannot see. It is absolutely not about us. It is about Jesus and bringing Jesus to the people that have never heard before and don't know. And I love, I love, it says all were healed. And we just have to believe, though, it said those that had come up in this story, they were all healed. With everything you do in this life, make Jesus famous. As we wrap it up this morning, I want to ask this question, so what do we do? What do we do with all this? The answer is is this, we make Jesus famous with our lives. We make Jesus famous with our lives. So then we've got to ask the question, okay, how? How do we make Jesus famous? And honestly, I think there's a better question that we ask before that. Instead of how do we make Jesus famous, I think the question each and every one of us individually has to answer is, do you want God to use you to make him famous? Because think about it for a second. The rapid growth of the church happened because men and women said, Jesus, use me. And they did whatever God told them to do. Some of them gave up everything. Some of them, and a lot of them, actually faced persecution and death. Like they took the steps necessary To say, God, this is all about you. However you want to use me, use me. And they were obedient in doing what God had called them to do. And so the question isn't, how do we make Jesus famous? The question is, do you want God to use you to make Jesus famous? Because what does that mean? That means for some of us, we can't just at an end of a message on Sunday morning go, amen. Get up, walk out those doors, and keep living our lives the way we've been living them. For some of us, it's like, you know what? It is time that we actually make prayer a priority in our life. It is time that I actually commit to following through and reading my Bible and getting into God's word. And I'm not just talking about coming and letting someone else, a pastor or preacher from the stage, tell you what the Bible says, but for yourself, dig in and learn about God's word. Let it become alive to you. For some of you, it's time to start and join a small group and get that community and accountability in your life that you've never allowed to have come before. For some of you, it's to get up and actually start using your gifts and talents to serve. Not just on a Sunday morning and on outreaches, but really going out and doing and putting your gifts and talents, your time, your energy, and your resources to use where God is calling you to to put it. For some of you, God is telling you, you know what? You need to surrender your finances to me. Some of you are like, oh, here he goes. He's talking about money. Absolutely. You know what? God owns every part of our life. And there's a lot of us, me included, all of this stuff, I'm pointing that finger right back at me. Every time I prepare a message, I am more convicted than I ever am before. Because there is, we have never arrived. 
We're never there. There is more that God wants to use us to do. It doesn't matter how young we are. It doesn't matter how old we are. God wants to use us to make a difference for eternity. He wants us to use our lives to make his son famous. Not so that the spotlight can shine on us. Not so that people can go, hey, have you heard about New Heights Church and all of those great things? No, but because Jesus saves and he is the only answer for a lost and dying world. We must become less so that he can become more. So the real question is, do we really want God to use us to make his son famous? And it's the worship team, the worship team can come out. Our, the response this morning is gonna be, is gonna be this. I'm gonna invite the prayer teams to come up and, and the prayer team will be over here on, on the right-hand side. But these, the front is going to be open for response. I want to just invite you up to be able to uh, pray. But it's, it's really, what is your next step? What step do you need to take? Maybe you need to say, God, I, I need to commit more and find time of, of prayer and really seek after you. Truly make prayer first a part of my life. Maybe it's you, you need to get into the word of God more. Some of you, again, it is, it is for a small, joining a small group, uh, getting in, involved on the dream team and using your gifts and talents. Maybe some of you is to get water baptized. Whatever God is calling you to do, some of you is just to step out in faith and do something. The biggest and best way to get out of a funk that we're in is to serve others. To make our life not about us, but about others. Because that's what Jesus came to do. That's the example he set up. And so the altars are going to be open this morning. And I want to invite whoever, you need to take a next step. Man, come and seek God. Maybe some of you need some freedom from some addiction or some problem. And that's why you need community. You need people to encourage you and support you, but also to hold you accountable. And so we'll have people up here that if you need prayer, if you want prayer from someone, but these altars are going to be open. But here's the number one thing right now. If you don't know Jesus, if you've never given your life to him, dedicated your life to him, that is your first step, to know him. If that's you, I just want you right now to stand to your feet and come find a place here and just seek him. He wants to use you to make himself famous. And if you've never given your life to Jesus, I'm gonna encourage you to stand up and come right now, find a place down here and begin to seek after him. Just surrender your life to him. Maybe you've made that decision before, but you've let, and all of us are guilty of this, we've let our stuff get in the way, our wants, our desires, our needs. And you just say, I just want a fresh start with Jesus. Jesus, become real again. Let my life make you famous. I'm gonna invite you to come up front, find a place. Whatever your next step is, I've given you many examples. I wanna encourage you to take that step today as we seek after him. Let's respond. Jesus, we just, we need you. Would you move in our lives? you be the difference maker. We invite your Holy Spirit to search our lives and to point out the things 
that we need to change, the things that we need to do. Lord, make yourself real and may we be the embodiment of your hands and feet to this world, to our families, to our friends. God, forgive us. Forgive us for putting ourselves first because it's not about us. It's all about you. We thank you for that in Jesus' name.